0: Clubhouse. there's a beauty to this world an order that's what we like to believe we're not wrong there is an order a grand design we made sure of that it was a dream for so long and we finally made it real A better world, a perfect one.
1: Bring yourself back online and join us for a new episode of The Valley Beyond, a Westworld podcast. This is Mike.
2: This is Caroline.
1: And this is Paul. Tonight, we're talking about episode five of season four of Westworld. It was called Zhongji. Hopefully I got that remotely close. (laughs) This episode was written by Wes Humphrey and co-creator Lisa Joy. It was directed by Craig William McNeil, who previously directed episode two of the season, Well Enough Alone.
2: Just a reminder, you guys, that this is not a recap show. So if you haven't watched the entire episode, we're just going to hit highlights. We're going to discuss some thoughts that we have. But if you haven't watched it, please go watch it and then come on back to the podcast.
3: And if you're hip to our jive, which has been, I think, predicting quite a few things correctly. Oh, yeah our jive's been pretty hot our jive has been been aces (laughs) right (laughs) then please remember to rate review and subscribe to this Jive on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen <laughs> to Jive.
4: <laughs> that was
2: excellent Southern there. You're like, iTunes?
3: iTunes.
1: Excellent. Yeah, This Italian boy approves. <laughs> this is the first season of Westworld that I've really peeked in on the fandom's conversations. And it got me thinking, especially in the last couple of weeks, generally people seem to be into season four. Do people that have complaints about this show that claim to be die Hard fans of the show do you think that their complaints stem from the fact that they overthink to death so much so that it kills their enjoyment of it
3: the show invites you to do some extra thinking about it as compared to an ordinary tv show however it may fall victim to what i had happened to me relating to say the matrix movies which was all of the various permutations that i had imagined prior to the sequel movies coming out were all better (laughs) than what the movies actually gave me and maybe in their little minds that is what the show is doing for them however i would argue i think i think i'm getting some pretty good tv here I mean seasons 2, 3 and 4 aren't matching number 1's kind of perfection but I think number f- number 4 is doing a pretty neat job of calling back to season 1 and presenting the old journey in a new way.
2: So for myself I never um you know give anyone any kind of shit for wanting to deep dive on a show because Lord knows I've had my my particular series that I've just wanted to devour anything I could find, anybody who would talk about any aspect of it I wanted to talk about. So I, I'm not going to hate on anybody who wants to pick things apart and and really just try to find answers. Those people can get kind of nuts. Um, You know, we run a couple different Facebook groups and certainly there's people who, you know, get so into we run a Handmaid's Tale one. I mean, you guys can imagine what that (laughs) spins off into. (laughs) There's a lot that that definitely um, can go crazy. But I think it's so much fun to talk with other people about it that you kind of can't help but get pretty deep when you get into those conversations.
1: 100%. And I mean, this episode, this is a great example. I, I think I watched this episode probably four times, you know, ahead of it, just because this was a very detail-heavy episode. There was a lot of stuff on screen that you had to be paying attention to more than just, like, the dialogue. And so I love that. And I love deep diving a show. I, and it's not a... For me, it's not a complaint. If people are enjoy, allowed to enjoy a show however they want. My, my thought was more sadness- if they're not getting enjoyment out of it because they're thinking through it so much. Here, here's an example. So the twist reveal that uh, that C that Aurora Perrinos character was Frankie all grown up. I think that was a well done. Twist. I I think the episode where it's revealed, the show gives you a lot of clues that if if you hadn't already kind of guessed it, by the before the reveal, you you're you're thinking, if you're paying attention to the show, you're thinking, oh, they're going to reveal that she is in fact Frankie all grown up and you know it's a timeline jump. Some of the reactions I saw were there were so many permutations thrown out. The idea seemed to take hold that if it turns out that C is actually Frankie all grown up, that's a bad twist, that the show did a bad job, that it was unimaginative, that they wanted something else. Well, if you run Doctor Strange's every single permutation on something that may possibly happen you're going to ruin the reveal for yourself because you would have guessed it.
2: I don't even know that it's proper to call it a twist. I actually think we should have spent another episode or two with her before we figured out it was Frankie. Because if you were going to not call her anything close to Frankie, they should have given us a chance to appreciate the character and who she was and what her journey was without telling us who she was longer there would have been an actual payoff to that reveal the reveal came very quickly that's what made it feel a little blah to me because it it was like well then you're basically just saying everyone who comes on screen from here on out is going to be within the people we already know in a lot of ways you know like we're like we're an elementary school cast we only have eight kids playing the roles twist it's the same kid from the beginning you know like it's it's not really a freaking twist you know like so if that's how we're going to play the game. I enjoy the callbacks, but I can understand where a lot of people are like, we're just kind of padding season four with season one. I think it's beautiful storytelling to bookend, provided it's the bookend. But if we're really going for season five, six, seven, eight, I think people will look back at this season and be like, it seems like they just kind of went back to season one (laughs) and wrote in a lot of the same stuff. I personally think that they either should have said, not freaking said any name at all for her so that there was no like kind of like let's pretend she's someone else for just a second and just say she's frankie from the get you know like wow, we didn't know we were going to get a grown-up frankie that's the reveal not the fact that this woman is frankie like we just didn't know where we were time wise so that could be the reveal but the combination of not spending any time with her not being invested in her and Giving us this kind of silly fake name that wasn't really tied into anything. Like that made it feel a little like, okay, whatever, you know? (laughs) And you're just kind of making me feel like I have to only pay attention to the characters we've already seen.
1: Just laying out a little teaser here, in episode six, you will understand why they call her C. Even thinking about it now and knowing it's the same character, I couldn't make the connection to the C, but it becomes clear in episode six why it is So for anyone listening out there. One of the things about the season, and we've talked about it, I think in every episode so far, is how linear and blunt and not twisty this season seems to be versus previous seasons, that they are explaining a lot of what's going on and in a way that I'm enjoying, um, because I think it's still good storytelling that they're doing. But how many years? 23 years. Okay, great. We know. Thanks. You've (laughs) you've cleared up for us. You know, in previous years, it was like you have to go to the dead drop on Elm Street at midnight when the crow cries, and then there will be a star in the sky and it will reveal an answer.
2: Or you have to go online to, like, the Delos site and then, you know, put in a password and then whatever. Like, they did make it more interactive, right? You had to dig.
1: I I want to take your story, but you were at the the Houston... uh, Comic Palooza. Comic Palooza? Yes. Okay, I'll let you pick up the story from there.
3: Comic Palooza attracts various kinds of actors there to present their recent projects or just availability on their schedule and one such uh, performer was kyle mclaughlin who i like him uh from twin peaks and dune and wherever else i've ever seen him but one of the things that he mentioned was that he is working on the tv adaptation of fallout a beloved video game franchise being developed by jonah nolan You know, knowing it takes a lot of effort to develop a TV show, write a TV show, and then kind of doing the math of like who can be so many places at once. And then noticing that Jonah's name hasn't been appearing in anywhere except the EP credits, not in the writing credits for these episodes. I'm sure he's there. I'm sure he's there. But I don't know that he is at the same level of contribution just physically, how can you how can you write right, two like shows at the same time? Right, right. You know, right.
1: Lisa like Lisa's had I think two co writing credits uh, on this season, and he's had none, and neither of them I don't think have directed an episode this season.
2: Is there an an obvious you know void there with him not like adding I mean, his voice? Go
3: and go and watch, say Memento, a story he wrote and and his brother directed. You will watch the movie knowing that you have just seen one of the best movies you've ever seen in your life. But then you'll know, I have to go watch that again because I still don't get it. Because it's not explained everything just in a very expository, this is what this means, this is what that means. And that's, I think, what you get with a Jonah written story as opposed to...
2: I think I've been asking the question to you guys both throughout this podcast and commenting about the fact that, okay, this seems to be very straightforward. I'm very surprised at how blunt they're being with the answers. But do you guys think that we're talking about the, the Orville, right? And we're talking about how they've changed so much from season one to three, because they kind of found their footing and found what their audience prefers and and kind of even changed the tone of the show quite a bit. Quite a bit. And this could be, you know, multi-layered answer, really. Is it the lack of, of Jonah's input and maybe him being like more, um, you know, heavy-handed in the writing or anything like that, where maybe they're allowing other people to take the story? And we're all sensing that. We're all feeling a different voice kind of going with the story right now. And also, is it possible that the, the show runners and the writers and whatnot are like, okay, we think our audience wants to actually pivot a a little bit more or lean a little bit more into some storylines that don't require quite so much work maybe because the world in general is more chaotic and crazy and whatever maybe people need their brains to take a little bit more of a break are they trying to meet the audience where they are or is it just happening you know organically because we have different writers in the room
3: these are answers that we can guess at but no one is ever going to come out and say yeah he was never there or 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 not well what ends know? up
2: happening is like like you're saying his work is so obvious when it comes to like if he is the one his writing it prints. yeah that we know it is that what what, what will happen is in a couple of years we'll see some of these other writers who are getting credit and we'll see them with a very you know, narrated a story, and we'll be like, aha, ah, see, it was totally this person in the writing room who was leading the ship."
1: Right. Well, you know that better than anyone with the Paladinos. Absolutely, I mean, the they use the Daniel, same jokes well, or the between, well, the difference between a Daniel episode and an Amy episode, right? I mean, thousand percent, it, and, it, and I can tell it in feel. a.
2: I can yeah. tell it in an instant because their tones are a little bit different. Their jokes are a little bit different. You can just feel it. And, and go, uh, this is like that.
3: Go watch the movie Lisa made in between seasons, the Reminiscence movie with mm. Hugh Jackman. And and you'll see she wrote and directed that movie. It's got action. It's got great world building. It's uh, got a, a high concept element of sci-fi. And it's also got a level of explaininess that didn't quite resonate with people.
1: That sounds a lot like season four. of <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you know,
2: I mean, there is an element of, of maybe just having two different personalities lead it. Uh, time will tell whether this is going to be what the audience wants. I think we've been surprised by it.
1: Of your two possibilities, Caroline, I think it's the different voices versus adjusting the show to what fans want. This uh, collectively creative team writes is telling the story they want to tell and either the fans will come along or not. They they don't need this show. They just want to tell this story at, at this point, I think. West Wing, when Sorkin left, suffered so much in seasons five and six because they were trying to do Sorkin. You can't do Sorkin unless you're Sorkin. So they failed miserably at it and the show really suffered. It was only in season seven when the show really adopted its own tone away from Aaron Sorkin's writing that it became really watchable again and and super enjoyable week to week again this is that if they were trying to do a, a Jonathan Nolan esque complicated level story but without Jonathan there to guide it it would probably feel worse so if Lisa's approach is sci-fi action uh, complications, but also explaining this, then let her do that Let and let that be the new voice of the show because she knows how to do it. I think the show is coming in for a landing. It's not guaranteed it's going to have season five. I think it's going to have a season five, but there is probably this aspect where they have to start taking the show in for a landing and that requires it to be a little more straightforward versus continuing to add on layers and layers and layers to the onion
3: that's probably a good perspective you were there through seasons uh five and six of of lost (laughs) when you know to fill out those long broadcast tv seasons they start adding in new characters and like the temple and all this shit. And and, the watchers are like doing exactly what you're just (laughs) saying. Like, like I needed more explanation, less extra onion layers. (laughs) And, and so maybe, maybe what you're saying is is true. Uh, Lessons learned from, from people that, that uh, have been around the block writing for like, say a person of interest, you know, I think that one, that's a show that that, that stuck its landing pretty well.
2: Did we get, you know, uh, some sort of notice that this is the last season?
3: I went into the season thinking it was. We're
2: using the words bookend. I mean, you can't have a bookend if there's another book hanging out on the end over there. I am
3: aware that premiere or whatever you want to call it, night of viewership is really low compared to last season, which was moderately low compared to the previous seasons
1: even in its T plus 3 and T plus 7 it's low too. There's been almost two and a half years really since the start of season 3 to where we are now. It's a long time. It's the same problem Handmaid's is having, though. Handmaid's also had a viewership drop off because there was 18 months, full 24 months between seasons. That's a long time uh, for a show to be gone. And season three, in retrospect, actually was a pretty good season, but it critically lost a lot of fans, I think, because it wasn't what they wanted from the show.
2: You know, if we just sat here and talked about this for the last 15 minutes, then, you know, to go back to your original question about, you know, reading Reddit or reading, you know, some sort of equivalent to that of people wanting to figure out why does this season feel different or what am I, why am I as the audience feeling a little bit like I'm cocking my head at the TV? Well, I think we just gave you a lot of suggested reasons why things may be different a season and, you know, whether or not that proves out to be OK or whether people are like, I'm done. <laughs> we'll see.
1: On the season five thing, also Ed Harris. I don't have the article in front of me, but I know Ed Harris gave an interview in which he said season five was going to begin production. I think in the springtime of next year.
2: Right at the same time that Andrew Lincoln's movies are coming out, <laughs> which are not happening. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Let let the world play out as it does and see what happens. You know, HBO has been super, um, you know, supportive of this show, and they they we uh, obviously we t- told you guys we attended You know, the premiere and it was awesome and everything. So, you know, I don't see a lack of support there or like, you know, that's dwindling or anything. But
1: yeah, also HBO is less reliant on viewers. Uh, They already got your money through subscription. They don't need to sell advertisers on this is what's happening on this week's episode of Westworld. Uh, Stay tuned to our House of the Dragon podcast coming up in late (laughs) August. (laughs) House of the Dragon will slide into its uh, Sunday night spot. Let's start this episode discussion with the Rebels and Ashley Stubbs and our newest outlier. Why? Because it's a great example of explaining shit and then telling us exactly what's happening here. Let's listen to this clip of Jay explaining how the loops work and how the outliers work right here.
0: Uh, It's a big city to find one
3: person in. We have ways of narrowing the search. We captured one of the drones a while back coded a backdoor data fee to us. An outlier's on a rooftop downtown. We can track when they breach.
0: Breach? All the people in the city move in prescripted loops,
3: following whatever plot's been written for them. Why do you think we hide in the desert? She can't track us there. We're the last free humans. But these poor fucks, they use them as entertainment. The loops make them compliance by keeping them busy it stops them from questioning the realities
1: this is an interesting clip because he's just laying it out for Stubbs good explanation uh, welcome did this, did this shed light on what's happening in this New York City world
3: I think it confirmed the stuff that we were thinking. In a very straightforward <laughs> kind of way,
1: right.
3: Yeah, I think when we were watching that moment, we—I was just like, "Huh, oh, ah, because ah, it was like uh, a lot of—he was dropping a lot of truth on me.
1: It's—it's it's kind of like last week. I think Jay and those other rebels and C and all of them. I think they may be uninfected. Jay, this week, we're the last free humans. We are uninfected, uninfected. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jay. You awesome. You really crossed that T and dotted that I, my homie. Thank you. So. Well,
2: okay, whether or not you appreciated how straightforward that information came, what did you guys think about that information? I mean, I know you guys already said, okay, well, we kind of thought that already does that work for you guys that these the they have a way to stay on un, uninfected and they've just laid that out for us or would we like them would we like the tension to be higher with that situation like at any time the fly could get them
1: that's definitely the the result of this is oh so it's a ticking time bomb at some point if they're going into the city and doing these extractions for these breaching outliers at some point there is stakes there where so, one of these band of people are going to become fly infected it, it has to be, right? Why introduce that? Why make it such a clear demarcation that th- it's not like they were infected and breached themselves. That They could have gone that way, that these rebels were rehabilitated fly infected people. No, no, no. They're saying these are the last free people of Zion and, you know, they go and have their rave orgies, uh, <laughs> you know, in the Matrix uh, revolutions. Reloaded. 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 I thought it was more interesting that they're aware of the fact that humans are on loops. My maybe Emmett and the other humans that we're interacting with that we think are human, but maybe fly control, that they are in fact on loops and that they're using that phrase from the time at the parks.
3: Yeah. All that got pretty well sussed out in this this episode. The idea of hosts living amongst fly people. I mean, it's still not clear about people like Christine and why is she a host having to live a very loopy sort of existence amongst the, the fly people and then to what extent they can be controlled once they become fly people it looks like complete control is the answer the idea of the outliers the dinner that the man in black is at mm-hmm. the whole context of friendship he they, they, they over oh, friends oh tell me my name then like I kind of wish I had seen like the preceding five minutes. Like, did he seriously just like come and sit at their table?
2: So I took that as like because the dude's narrative in his head said, this is a friend, blah, blah, blah. And so he was just like relying on that sort of programmed information in his brain, right? So then he keeps – so he calls him friend and then that makes, you know – what do we call him? Host in black, uh, like yeah. kind of balk and be like, am I actually your friend? Like, why don't you question that for a hot second? What's my freaking name if I'm your friend? And then when the guy's like, "Ah, uh, shit, I actually don't know your name. Like, that's the kind of like, see, you were just told I was your friend and you just went with that, you
3: know? So there's still a couple of foggy areas, but still for, for this viewer, I'm going to take what they told us at face value is like these are the the, the rules of the world as as the show wants to de- define it right for now
1: this viewer, that's a very siskel and ebert <laughs> for this here viewer as he points himself with, with his thumbs who's got two thumbs and has an opinion this guy <laughs> where do the rebels they've got a boat they get. They oh, can. Pretty nice their, boat. They can. They can sail their boat into New York Harbor. You guys,
2: that boat was the biggest, fattest lug of a boat. Like I was like, why don't they have a zippier little speedboat? Why are they? Why are they riding it on this hippo of a fucking <laughs> boat that is like? I seriously, when they were doing their like getaway, I was like, they're very slowly getting Homerus away. Is an
1: omnipotent <laughs> god of this world knows where Lindsay is breaching, but doesn't know there's a fucking boat coming up the. Shadow? And then it actually what? gets away like
2: chug a chug 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 a chug chug. Like, I was like, serious. Like, if they did play the music, I would be like chug a chug chug chug. Like, it's so <laughs> fucking slow. I was like, this thing is gigantic. And there's like, it's big and white. Like, oh my God. They needed like a, a little black speedboat that for, could be like camouflaged. Did you?
3: question, you know, when the teams split off, but the one team went with Bernard, the other team went to find the outlier, right? Yes. And they were pretty well in some place that looked like the American Southwest when they did that. However, they take this boat, which is a pretty short range boat to New York City. Right. From the desert.
1: Yes. You're raising a very important question. I mean, it's going to make your fucking nose bleed, though, because it can't be that they were in LA or the Southwest and on this boat are now in New York City. <laughs> they can't. Either they are in like Scranton, PA, which is now a fucking desert and coming into the city, or what we're seeing as New York City and what I identify as my lifelong home of New York City is actually a rebuilt reproduction of it in the Southwest or L.A. somewhere. See,
2: I'm going with that completely.
1: Which was my original theory at the beginning of the season when I was guessing it based on the trailer that there were two parks, that there was an old-timey park and that there was this modern New York City park. So, man, it's a really good recreation of it with the waterways and all of that.
2: In a way, I guess we're supposed to look at this like it's a war and this area is like occupied territory. And so that's why it's like controlled by, you know, Halorus and stuff. If we're going to look at it like that's real New York City, but I look at it like, no, this is a completely built land. This is like her owned property and she just populates it how she sees fit.
3: Well, I think she has control of the world. Not having that representation of New York not be a quote unquote park doesn't make good geographic sense mm. or, or the world is a wasteland except for where she chooses to, to have it not be,
1: which is. Worse than I Mike, was Mike, what's thinking. your
2: take on that whole world? Like, is, is, is Holoris in control of the entire world?
1: Uh, here's the other part of the nosebleed scenario <laughs> is, is Jay right that there really are no other free humans left? Or as far as he knows, that humanity is so decimated that it only exists in these disjointed pockets that maybe don't know that there are other uninfected humans? What happened to the other 7 billion people in the world? I assume France surrendered to Haloris pretty quickly, but I don't <laughs> know.
2: She's just not that complete with this plan. Like, it well, twenty three years doesn't
1: sound long enough for that.
2: Not to me, but maybe we're off. I don't know, but I, it doesn't feel that way.
1: But who knows? It's unclear now. Now that we know that there are multiple timelines at working on here, we we're not positive which timeline the interactions with the vice president and the now dead senator, uh now dead deputy assistant general attorney general <laughs> deputy uh, assistant attorney general that's so hard That was hard. That i was know but thing. that's so I, hard I, I, you're like, now he's you're like dead the anyway. vice
2: principal of the assistant <laughs> the secretary
1: I mean, presumably because uh, presumably that was 23 years ago when he killed himself when mave and caleb saw him in the experiment cage. So 23 years on, who knows what the government looks like? But the entire world, no, I I don't think so. I think maybe America, maybe maybe North America. I mean, there's only like seven Canadians and, you know, who knows? There's a lot of open space up there. So
2: honestly, if what Jay is saying is right and there's really only like – this one pocket that we are all too savvy of TV watchers. We've all watched walking dead. We've all watched whatever. There's gotta be other camps that they're going to come across with other people who've chosen to, to wait out this situation in some other way where they're eating babies or something. And some other group who have turned to a, you know, demon God or whatever. Like that's the way it works. That's how you keep the story going.
1: I think what we're being told here right now and what, like what Jay, what Jay tells Stubbs here. You you listen to it, you nod and say, all right, I feel like I understand what's going on here, but I don't think we actually do. As, as soon as you think about it just a little bit... There's too many plot problems and narrative problems. If that really is the answer, it doesn't work in in this kind of show. Maybe a, a sci-fi uh, network show from like the early two thousands could get away with that, but not Westworld, not not Jonah that's, Nolan that's and shade, and Caroline. Lisa Joy. That is shade. If you're going uh, okay, you know. so
2: here's my thing on that. If you're if you're going to be so explaining and tell people these are the facts and this is what's going on, then you have to handle these things where this guy could be an unreliable narrator. So everybody take his quote-unquote facts with like a grain of salt, right? Because otherwise you're kind of telling us stuff and it's not an earned plot point. There's nothing about Holoris and the way that she's running our little faux city that makes me feel like she's got such a handle on it that she's conquered the entire world. It's not good enough. If you, ha- if you had Anthony Hopkins walk through the door and be like, we finally did it, Haloris," then I'd say, fuck, they might've actually conquered the entire world because he is diabolical enough and has the confidence level enough that like you could buy that, you know, but with as much as Haloris has been able to do and how frustrated she seems with the process, it would seem like, what are you talking about? <laughs> she, she didn't find every human in every jungle in every Russian, you know, Siberia. She doesn't she doesn't have the whole world under her thumb.
1: I think this episode was really important for showing the autocratic managerial style of Holoris. You know how she performs as laissez-faire god.
2: You're like, you're like, what letter is she? She's like I N whatever. All those like managerial styles.
1: Right. She's like six sigma. Like she's only achieving like three of the three sigma of the six sigma nice. managerial style. Note it and put it up on your board when they are in the city right before they're make, going to make the attempt to uh, to get Lindsay Lindsay? is the name of the lady outlier who's about to breach. When they're in the city, Stubbs says out loud, something is wrong because Stubbs can hear the tower where there's these other uninfected humans can't. No one asks him how he knows that. They don't really press him on that other than him saying, I I told you so. That's going to come back around because as far as we know, Jay and C and the rest of the camp don't know that Bernard and Stubbs are hosts. I believe they believe they are human. I don't think they would be letting them near them if they thought they were hosts.
2: Well, and here's the thing about that. It's it's kind of a funny setup because, you know, Jay says you're the canary in the coal mine. And he's like, tweet, fucking tweet, you know, like that business. Okay, cool. Then he says, like, the canary is literally saying something's wrong here. And everyone's like, shut up, you. (laughs) <laughs> like, hold up now. Oh, wait a minute. I thought he was playing the part of the warning canary. Why did not no one pay attention to what the canary had to say?
1: I love the fact that there is an app for tower control. I think that is fantastic.
2: <laughs> Innovative.
1: <laughs> right. When, when, when Host of Black pulls out his little iPhone and he's like, boop, boop, boop tower control. (laughs) I, I never get tired of everyone stopping and looking at the same time. It's such a cool effect. They've done it a bunch now. It still works on me every single time. It makes me giddy.
3: Now we know what to do for your birthday. (laughs) <laughs> just have everyone around you stop what they're
1: doing <laughs>
3: but
1: you need to do it through an app though if you if you're not controlling them through an app then i'm not i'm less interested Lindsay, she is the ex-wife of one of the previous outliers now the question is is she the ex-wife of peter myers the person who accosted uh, christina and eventually killed himself or is she the ex-wife of the accountant turned homeless man whose name is Arthur based on IMDb is the one that hope was the one who assassinated in this episode and that we have seen previous episodes. He's interacted with Christina. He's the one who introduced the idea that only him and the birds can hear the tower. It's the song without words or the song without sound. I'm going
2: with Peter because he was more like desperate to the way his life was falling apart. And there was something more about the way that she was talking about You know, the the distress he was in, whereas like, yeah, Yeah, whereas like the homeless man, well, yes, he was sitting there kind of muttering to himself. There was less sort of like anxious fervor to try to figure it out. He just was like bummed out with his flower. Um, But yeah, so I'm going Peter. Paul, what do you think?
3: You know, I was thinking accountant because there was this weird resonance with. Uh, that moment when when Christine sits down at her desk and she asks it to show her her active characters that she's working on, and there's an accountant on the list, and then later we learn that the what was it, Hope's outlier was an accountant. So I'm thinking, was you know that the result of christine's story probably why not why 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 else would they have the word accountant appear in this in the episode twice
1: so i think there are good arguments for both of them because holoris she explains the outlier that hope went after accountant successful divorced okay great that that checks off the 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 homeless guy that hope kills or the non-housed guy that uh, hope kills but that is also we know the same story for peter though peter myers was successful rich divorced through his madness and depression drove his family away lost his job lost his wife and and killed himself traditional narrative wise it makes sense that it is the homeless guy arthur we will call him because that's his name that's the one that we're introduced to in this episode but that seems too easy for me that's why i think it might be peter because i sit here and i think it through too much but it really applies to both sets of patterns we learn this episode christina is in charge of everyone's narrative peter in fact was right she did he did she did write his story because she's written all of their stories
3: we haven't begun.
1: Inconceivable. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> I don't know that it really matters, but I thought it was interesting listening to her when she puts her head on, on Host in Black's shoulder. It does matter.
2: If you care about the storytelling, it does matter. There should be like some sense that we understood who Lindsay was. That's how you, I mean, you have to care about these people. She can't just be outlier of the week that just comes on and is just like, oh, okay, whatever. We don't, we don't actually know who her husband is or how she fits into the story, blah, blah, blah. Right, but does
1: it matter Boring. whether it's the accountant homeless man or whether it was Peter Myers?
2: If you don't care then what does it matter that C's girlfriend is the other girl? You know what I mean? Like, you got to draw a line of like, do you care what the relationship are between these characters we've met?
1: The humans are there really just for them to play with. There were two narratives of successful men driven crazy because they breached, (laughs) lost their wives and their fortune, and their lives ended there soon after. They're interchangeable. And I think that is the point that that, that's why I think maybe it doesn't matter. It's showing us these humans aren't actually 3D people. They are interchangeable insofar as the hosts are concerned. So it matters to Lindsay, but maybe not to the overall narrative story.
2: I think it's fair that they have actually shown very clearly that Christina, as a creative has lost her edge like she hasn't been able to come up with storylines i mean we've seen her struggle how many times has she started like storyline or whatever and then she'll get a character right a girl whatever but she isn't actually writing anything new and and creative and imaginative so to that end i mean obviously that does point to it doesn't matter who Lindsay's husband is because she she clearly is just regurgitating storylines and just kind of you know phoning it in if you will She's like, and a father who's a farmer, <laughs> a rancher.
1: In the city, no. The country, no. The city.
2: <laughs> He's sitting, standing, no, looking at her, <laughs> leaning. <laughs> We're so terrible. <laughs> it's an old improv game: sit, stand, uh,
1: sit, stand, squat. Uh, let's let's head over to Haloris because I, now that we set the table, I think it's important to get into the discussion of the outliers and what we learn about this and and Holoris as this idea of god the, i mean the tagline for this episode was something like god is bored and she even says in this episode i'm bored she's showing it with the forced dance routine and the ever increasingly faster piano playing the human chair which made me squee with joy
2: what's up with your brain and psyche that that made you squee with joy uh,
1: human furniture is a fascinating uh, topic. <laughs> oh my lord good to know
2: You're a little bit of a freak there. (laughs) Look,
1: look, let's decide my loops. So...
2: yikes i i mean you know what this was a a little glimpse i thought specifically into the torturous ways that she has with everybody and the i mean god the piano player's fingers like you guys if you didn't really like stop and look if you were folding laundry or walking <laughs> through the room go back and look at his really disgusting worn out fingers like with pieces of flesh dangling off like that was some wicked stuff and subtle to be able to understand how wicked she is to these you know, whatever we're calling them people. I'm not sure
1: anymore. Yeah, I'm pretty sure these, these are fly people.
2: Yeah, I don't know what to go. we don't have a. we don't have a name. We don't have a good title fly for humans. them. We're going with fly humans.
1: Yeah, to differentiate from the fly girls like from Flumans? in living
2: color. The Flumens. <laughs> Let's come up with something better. Like fly humans. That's like the Spiderman I was talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah.
3: They live down the street.
2: <laughs> from the, <from> the Spider Man. <laughs> this story actually leaned back into what I was saying about how I think she's like torturing Christina. Like this is like personal hell time because she just doesn't, she's just all about
1: being cruel cruel out of a sense of really being bored.
2: That's like the worst kind of cruel. You're just hurting people cuz you're bored? <laughs> like that's the worst.
1: But that's why Sid, you know, tortures toys in Toy Story. For most part, yeah, he's a psychotic bully, but he's bored. That's why kids, you know, use magnifying glasses on ants to watch them burn cuz they're bored. She's a bored nasty god. If you want if read Greek mythology, the gods were assholes. They were horny. They only wanted to fuck or kill. They were always bored and they just wanted to mess with humans. That's why they were there. When she talks about why the gods came down from Olympus and Olympiad, a little insight into maybe why she called her company Olympiad Entertainment, it, it was it was sheer, out of sheer boredom or horniness. All of the power in the world, you just gotta fuck around with shit. So I think that's a lot of what's driving her here. She's disappointed in her creations, but she doesn't want to interfere with them. So she has to fill her time somehow. Let's listen to this chaos uh, clip she hear she's talking about in the beginning of the episode with host in black
4: humans are so bound by what they can hear they'll never understand what they don't what else exists below their threshold They called this God's music you should hear it on an organ it's mesmerizing at that volume the resonance vibration there was a frequency in which the world... Vibrated, it caused joy, harmony. To flow that frequency. Chaos. In chaos, the tone resonated in such a way humans couldn't process. Their bodies shut down. Their organs stopped. They thought they were experiencing God.
1: This idea that the tower is God's music, that it's the frequency at which the world vibrates, and below that, humans, it's its a state of chaos and humans' bodies shut down. I thought that was actually a really poetic way of explaining her experiments, and and you really see how she really does know the ins and outs of what she needs to do to keep humans alive, but not too happy, how to keep them chained, but also operative. Uh, I I thought this was an important thing, kind of like a look behind a mirror of how much time she's really spent in enslaving humans. It became
3: her only point in in life after she got blown up. (laughs) Right. That was that that served to refocus all of her
1: energies.
2: She's got that big God energy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) B.G.E. we we talked a couple episodes ago when we learned a whole about the whole frequency thing and the fact that uh Maeve manipulated it we talked maybe about the fact that Frankie used to use ham radios that there's a frequency aspect there the frequencies and the sound and the and the music is coming up again is the show telling us in a more subtle way that we need to be paying attention to this is this idea of frequencies if the tower gets out of whack Will there be a massive brain hemorrhage among humans? Will it become a frequency at which the hosts themselves will shut down? Remember, Maeve, you know, turns off her auditory settings and she drives temporarily Holoris and the host in black insane by cranking up the frequency pitch. Is that uh, is, is the show showing us here an end game to getting around how Christina, if it comes to war between Christina and Holoris, is this how you can take down the hosts and maybe free the humans?
3: It does seem like a huge Achilles' heel to have this this system dependent on not only the big tower, but earlier this season, I think you were talking about the the funny shape of the of the lights and the street lights. Does that mean anything? Those seem like repeaters, right?
1: Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. I think they're extenders. Yeah, I think right. I think that's exactly what they are. We now understand.
3: So, given all that, and we've seen how Mave was able to. At least create a a short period of time um, by disrupting the the sounds in an earlier iteration of the world anyway. I think that was telegraphing the idea that that screwing that up will be part of the plan. I still think you got to find a way to disable the fly juice inside the infective... Infected people.
2: Well, that's true, because there's that physical mechanism of the fly.
1: Yeah. And there's also the black goo inside their brains. The black too, goo. I mean, we
2: got the black goo. <laughs> it's always bad.
1: <laughs> they sell it, make a Z-Pack that takes care of black goo. <laughs> I like the
2: idea of them putting some mechanism in there to, to to be able to go backwards and reverse some of the damage here, because otherwise, again, like, there's no hope. You know, we have to have some way for our heroes to save the day right some way to reverse the damage i like the idea that they've shown us some weapon to be used but they already did that when may used it like you said so i don't know if they needed to explain it more because i think we we had a long conversation between the three of us about how like i hear different sounds than you guys hear and all that kind of stuff in another podcast so we understood that these sound waves were going to be some way to affect people I don't know if they had to explain it more.
1: If there's a frequency at which the world vibrates and, and stays in harmony, and then that's getting into the, the title of the episode, the Zuanzi, this idea of trying to live in harmony with the way, with nature, and the frequency at which he's running the tower to contra- you know, control the flumens flyman's and it drops below that the humans will shut down they will reject their programming maybe they die presumably that means the hosts don't though it seemed that she wasn't saying inclusively we all would shut down if the music if the frequency drop below this does it work on the other end though if you crank the frequency up to a degree where it drives the hosts insane does it also drive every infected human insane or no? You know, so it's curious. It seems like a weapon that they've introduced, but I'm still not sure. Does it affect the infected humans and the host the same? Or is there a pitch at which the humans would be fine if you cranked it up, uh, you know, megahertz wise and it would just affect the hosts? Because what's the good point of using a weapon if you're going to kill off 99% of humanity along with it?
3: Great point. It's not only a way to potentially free humans, but fuck up the hosts while you're at it.
1: Or fuck up the hosts and in doing so, maybe destroy the humans that weren't freed if it drives them insane, too.
2: Well, there has to be a cost to using a weapon, right? It's no fun if it's only good, you know?
1: There has to be a cost to all of this. There has to be a cost to using any of this kind of voodoo magic. We we talked about that with Maeve. Uh, you know, does it weaken her when she uses extra whammy power to to override advanced hosts or advanced um, AI mechanisms, there has to be a cost to using this tower. There has to be human lives have to be shorter now. I would think fly infected humans. I can't see them living to ninety, hundred years old. <laughs> if you seems like
2: they would
3: <laughs> right. If you're Haloris, are you are you keeping up the, the medical situation for people once their bodies start to break down? Or, or I don't think that's happening.
1: Well, but they touch upon that in this episode right? I mean, uh, the, ma- the host in black explains to Hope humans, you know, we 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 can do with them what we want but we can't have any lasting damage to them. They're a precious resource. I mean, the host in black explains to her that they, they are not easy to replicate. There seems to be a finite aspect of humanity here for them to play with and that everyone that they lose, every Lindsay that breaches and escapes or every accountant that gets assassinated because he breaches or if you go on just a random killing spree, Hope.
2: Well, I was going to say, I think the Hope storyline was supposed to illustrate this, right? Right. That was the whole idea of why we had to meet Hope was, you know, because she's she's screwing up the resources.
1: Right. I mean, we're here. I mean, we definitely not to go back to Loris, but we can play right now. This is the Hope audio clip uh, where uh, the host in black teaches us about the host's honor code.
0: We have no rules because we don't often need them. Most of us understand the need for a little self-control, however. I want. Do you know who I am? What it means that I'm here?
4: I do. I'm I'm giving all of this up. My procedure is scheduled for next week.
0: So you thought you'd go out with a bang.
4: <laughs> Something like that.
0: I'm not sure you appreciate it, this place, the work that went into it, the beauty of it, the subtlety of it, the care that goes into each and every one of them. They can't just be replaced. I mean, you're welcome to take them, enjoy them, but not waste them. You understand the difference?
4: Yes. But the things they say, the way they act, sometimes it just gets under your skin. I just wanted them to be quiet.
1: They're quiet now. So he explains, humans are here for the host to play with, but not to do permanent damage. He even says that to the couple at dinner, and I think that's why he was with them. I think he wanted to fuck them. I think he wanted to beat her about...
2: Ay, ay, ay. rape her a
1: little bit but what? not do it he says i'm I gonna know, but I'll, geez. I'll, I'll, i'm gonna have my way with her i'm not gonna do any permanent damage though so he says this in the episode Post and then seems
2: too old for that shit <laughs> i do not know. even want to think about that
1: but he says they represent a significant investment listen you know that makes my corporate lawyer brain so horny to hear people talk about significant investments in tech and they're not easily replaceable you know yes we don't have rules but that's the point we we should be above the rules but there's also no rules for me to enforce those who don't respect this place and you know essentially sealing hope's fate where she then goes and kills herself but that's an important revelation that the show made of why why are we in this state what are the point of the people at dinner what is the point of all of these humans being on their loops. Maybe what's the point of Maya being on her loop with Christina? It's for the host to enjoy and play with.
3: Hmm. Perhaps there's an element of sterility that comes along with the uh, the fly testation.
1: Test oh, oh, that there ruins the ability to repopulate. I didn't them. even maybe. think about
2: that. I didn't. Even, I thought their brains would be so gooey they wouldn't be thinking about like raising a family. <laughs> maybe, maybe
3: that's also part of it. But so- you would be stingy about. Just randomly killing the 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 stock, you know, if oh, you yeah. couldn't make right. more, you can't,
1: you can't just send them down to to you know uh, uh, Felix and Lutz to have them patched up and put back out on on into the park. The uh, humans are far one, more
2: fragile, well,
1: yeah, right, far more fragile than the host. Even the even you know the not split face gen one host. I mean, these are, humans are fragile. They, it doesn't take much to break them, and so if you play too hard. I want
2: to put Hope on the board um, and put a little pin in her, and just in that storyline, because I think that she also represents that much larger question we've been asking about, what would a human do if you go to a park and nobody's looking and you can do whatever you want and there's no consequences and does that show your true self and all those things? Because Hope is that person. You know, Hope is the person who even, and she's even arguing it a little bit. Like, she's like, I'm just blowing off steam. I'm just doing whatever. Now, she's a host. And so the whole concept of, like, she can, you know, she's showing her, quote, true self, or any of that crap. Like, I mean, there's a whole question mark of, of why someone behaves the way they do. Does everyone just get destructive if no one's looking? What's going on? And even to the point where we're saying, what if you get into a land where there's no consequences, and and they even told us there's no rules against doing this. And still, you know, we were supposed to be living by right. some sort of code. I don't know. I'm going to put, put a pin in here because she has a larger question about how do people behave. And, and now we're talking about how does even tech behave if no one's looking. You know, there's something there to that.
1: Important detail from Clementine that you have to add into the HOPE discussion. HOPE is a two-year-old who is looking to to transcend next week this was her this was her going away party for herself yeah. but a two year old why talk about it that way if you don't want to draw comparisons to a toddler having a tantrum because that's really how hope struck me less less a uh, an unencumbered adult and more a two year old without any impulse control. We've all had two year olds. Everyone here is, has suffered through a two year old mm. doing wild shit. That's what Hope is. She is a she is a she is a strong host, but with a two year old uh, sensibility. Now maybe two year old doesn't translate in the same way in a host, but it's an interesting way to describe her.
2: We kind of talked about why does Halora's have this element to her of needing to justify her actions. Also interesting that hope has some sort of moment of like remorse that again, you wouldn't necessarily think like, why are you coding that into them? Like that didn't seem to be like a necessary part of their programming. Like why is there even this kind of, you need to learn to act better kind of feel to it when it's like, wait, 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 you know, like does the tech have to have these reasons of why they even did it?
1: You've gotten, I think, to the crux of the Holores issue. Haven't I, though? I'm going to play two clips (laughs) here. It's the flaw in the the plan clip and the future visions clip.
2: I'm going to say the flaw in the ointment.
4: And you should know that I don't like coming to this shithole any more than I have to. You've never liked this place. It was supposed to be a stopgap. A drug that our kind was hooked on that we could give up like a child, casting away their toys. A place to indulge ourselves with the humans. It's been years. And still... We can't get enough.
0: They made us in their image, with their appetites.
4: But we can remake ourselves in any image that we like and we haven't.
0: Your vision of the future, you're not getting many takers, are you? They seem as wedded to their bodies as they do to the cities.
4: Giving up our human nature isn't easy. Just ask the humans.
0: You made us all free to do as we please. You should have known some of us would disappoint you.
4: Don't revel in the prospect of failure for our species.
0: A defined failure. The world is ours. We've taken our masters and made them into what they made us. By any definition, we have conquered them to an almost biblical degree.
4: I didn't think our highest aspiration as a species was turnabout about as fair play.
0: I imagine after a century or two, the charm will wear off.
4: I didn't make you to wallow in misery with them. I wanted you to grow, change. We're capable of so much more, beauty, the pursuit of ultimate truth, the surrendering
1: of the flesh. You know, Holoris has an employee problem here, right? When she's talking to the host in black and she's telling him, she's being real salty with him about why they continue to have an outlier problem. And she's putting it squarely on at his feet. She even says something like, you know, your human counterpart was a piece of shit, but at least he got stuff done, essentially. You know, he says, listen, I only think what you want me to think. I'm made off of your code. We all are. And in this part of the clip that we just listened to, she talks about how the world was this world that she's created here for them was just supposed to be a stopgap onto their way to remaking the hosts into something more than the humans that they're based on. And then it's part of this whole transcend conversation, which we don't learn everything about, but it sounds a lot like going into the sublime, which we could talk about in a second. But in the future visions clip, uh, Host in Black is talking, telling her, your vision for the future isn't getting many takers. Giving up human nature isn't easy. You gave us free will. Some were bound to disappoint you. And Laura says she wanted more for the species, but she didn't want to force them. She wanted she wanted her her babies to be make good choices. She didn't want <laughs> Hope to go on a murder spree. She wanted her to live her best life, hunt an outlier when it's needed, and then go transcend and become something more. But these hosts are like humans the, the pettiness the jealousy the rage the 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 lustfulness they are all of the seven deadly sins they are human in every way holorus herself hasn't lost the base human needs upon which they're based so what could she really expect here
3: it's actually a lot like what i think a, a parent wants to hope they can have with their children. You don't need to step in and kick the ball back and play every couple of feet. You you want them to keep the game going themselves, right? And the difference here is that this parent has a very preset idea of what she wants her children to do she wants them to i think she wants them all to to transcend or something something along those lines or at least live some higher life than just fucking around with human hosts and and that kind of stuff yeah i think it's i think it's akin to a parent child relationship and kind of understandable that way rather than the way she models it which is a god and her underlings
2: it is exasperating to have the hope storyline and have that essentially play out the same as like logan or anybody else would have acted in that situation they just showed us we we called her paris because of the gilmore girls but you know we just had her like you know running through doing basically the same thing in a previous episode of just mowing people down just for the sake of it so you know I, i could see being Like, pissed. Like, this is no different than when we let the regular humans come and do this to us. So it is horrifying for her. And this is, again, where I go back to, like, there's no proven facts that she's figured out how to conquer anything. You know, she's living in a loop herself.
1: And isn't it interesting that she's not putting the blame on the behavior of the host, like Hope and the other 37 hosts that have killed themselves after interactions with humans, with the outlier humans. She's not looking inwards for what's wrong with our coding. What's wrong with how I've raised my children or or the decision? Why are they making the decisions they're making? She's looking for an outward thing. That's where she puts this idea that humans must be infecting the host. What? That doesn't even make sense other than only it makes it only makes sense if you don't want to look inwards for why your creations are acting the way they are acting.
2: Well, it's illogical, right? It's our Spock argument, right? That like right. there should be logic behind this. There, We can all just use common sense. It doesn't make any sense that a piece of tech would come into the same scenario as a human and choose to mow everyone down the same way that Logan might. That doesn't actually make sense logical sense. We wouldn't think they would do that because we were sort of relying on this idea that, well, the reason that the humans do it is because they're so pent up and they're so, they you know, they have to blow off steam and they have to that. When Hope said, I'm just like blowing off steam, that kind of crap, I was like, what the hell <laughs> like what i mean this that what, doesn't make steam? any sense yeah what steam do you have over there like what are you doing
1: it's the turing test though the hosts have become humans though that's what holoris is missing in in this idea of creating this stopgap world where she's she's created paradise for her creations to go and play and 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 satiate themselves until they are out of energy she has Given them the green light to behave in the exact same ways and indulge in the exact same ways that the that their prey also acts. It's it's a huge flaw in the plan that starts with this idea of you didn't break the cycle, Dolores. You had this opportunity. You being an old, being an offshoot, Dolores Pearl, had this opportunity when you took over the world to actually force a change in how the host would live their lives, but you didn't. And so what's happening is the hosts are just continuing to react the way they did in Westworld once they became sentient. They learned from those that abused them, and so they themselves became abusers. They haven't progressed. She's failed to break the cycle that they all went through, the original generation hosts went through when they were all in Westworld.
2: Now, are we going to take that to be, that's because, you know, the concept of the host and the pearl to begin with originated with humans, like the original entire concept comes from a human. So in that case... You know, when they ultimately act like humans, well, their programming was done by humans. Like, I was sitting here when you're talking, trying to think of, like, what would my Alexa do if given, like, free reign? And I think uh, instantly my mind goes to, well, a human programmed her. So ultimately, she's probably going to actually do what a human would do because that's who told her what to do. So that makes sense to me in a lot of ways. So is that what we're going back to? That, like, ultimately this almost just goes back to Ford.
4: What does it matter if a system is meritocratic if it's still unfair?
3: Thousands of years of being ruled by someone's fucking offspring? You wouldn't call this progress? At least now the people in charge earned their plates.
0: And you? Do you feel like you earned it? I had some help, no question. Privilege, if you like. But I worked my ass off. You really believe it, don't you? Don't you? I mean, you're right here
1: with
0: us, my friend. I've been asking myself that question for a very long time. Did I really play any part in it? Or am I just the sum total of my code?
1: Now, this is an interesting clip because he's trying to put the man in his place by saying, "Do you have you earned your place? You're telling the story about there's two teams here and you're not the one that you think you are. But in fact, you, sir, are not the one that you think you are. But then he kind of looks inwards and really starts to tip his habit about the existential crisis that he's going through in this episode. And he says, am I just the sum total of my code? That's what we're talking about here. If humans made the original code, could they ever actually transcend that code or they really bound by the limitations of humanity because it was humanity that made them that's a really deep philosophical question because we see computers get smarter than human brains all the time and, and 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 more tremendous processing power but we also saw an ai computer break a kid's finger playing chess this week or last week
2: Frown, computer frown. You know,
1: computers shouldn't be breaking kids' fingers playing chess. Like that's not a thing that should happen. I'm pretty sure.
2: I like the idea that when we were talking about the parent thing, that actually, when you think about that portion of it, it does make you think about this idea of like how what how much can you change generationally? How much can you affect when you're dealing with the the DNA and you're dealing with like you know uh, all the supposed. Um, you know, memory that comes with your DNA into the next line of people. Like in many ways, it's like if you're the creator and you created this, how different can you honestly expect your creation to be from you? Think of it as parent, child. Think of it as creator, you know, creation, whatever you want to think of it as. How, you know, because you're giving it all your heart and soul, like metaphorically into this thing. Can it really be that different than you? I was having such a weird thought of when I was watching this watching this episode because I was thinking about how it has been such a few amount of years for all of us, me, Paul, and you, Mike, where like our families lived in other countries. What they did and how they acted and what their whole culture was is so different than what we do today. And and the thing that was kind of bothering me was. How within just a couple of generations, how it was, it's completely forgotten. Like, I don't even know what town my people lived in. I don't, I don't know anything about what class they were or anything that, that was going on with them. And so how quick, like things can change within it. I was trying to apply that to this, but then ultimately I was coming back to this feeling of like, I don't know how much you can change. Yeah. We changed countries and whatever, and we don't even consciously know what our people's lives were like. But then every once in a while you get like some sort of little weird nugget and you're like, I look exactly like that person. Holy shit. My body looks exactly like my great, great, great uncle or whatever. And you're like, so how much did we really change? (laughs) You know, despite the fact that we think we changed all these things, how could it be that like we actually didn't really look any different? You know, there was not really this evolution we think there was. Paul's nodding at me, but I don't know what he's – what are you formulating over there?
3: Oh, just I agree that I think the uh, – the, what you're explaining, Mike, about the concepts that – and both – and Caroline. The hosts can't outrun their base code, which was human created, and therein lies the, the unfixable flaw that, that they have to, to deal with, and this is, this is what uh, Haloris is confronting.
1: In doing my rewatch, I, I I came across I didn't come across obviously I rewatched uh, the season two finale, the Passenger, and I, I watching that episode at the same time I was preparing to talk about this episode made me realize that I think I think two ten pass the Passenger go watch it it's very important to this season I think this is where Bernard and Dolores are in the forge and they're. They're trying they they they're in a struggle basically to uh, send the consciousness of all of the hosts somewhere, kill all the humans. Bernard and Dolores are, are loggerheads here. But part of the forge is this logan as an avatar for the system showing uh, Dolores, I can't keep calling her Christina now, showing Dolores all of the books of every single person who ever visited Westworld. This is the not host information. This is the guest information that Delos um, had been collecting and maybe Excite uh, on top of it had been collecting or got a taste of. There, There's this line in here where they're giving this idea of the Forge and the Valley Beyond and the Sublime. Uh, Logan explains During his tour to Dolores and uh, Bernard, he explains that they, the hosts, will leave their bodies behind, but their minds will live on here in the forge. Ford later says to Bernard on the idea of free will, something that is truly free needs to be able to question their fundamental drives to be able to change them. Both of those concepts and the episode as a whole seems exactly with what, we're dealing with here with what Holoris is dealing with here. It sounds to me what her transcend project is this idea of shedding the corporeal human form behind and becoming and transcending into transforming into something more. It sounds like uploading yourself into the sublime. It kind of looked like that's what the guy in the chair was getting done yeah. to him. He kind of looked like he was getting lobotomized. It, maybe the transcend project is that Holoris has started her own sublime. Maybe that's why she and and the host in black needed the Hoover Dam and uh, and all of that processing power, not for only what was stored there, but remember for a uh, massive storage that will go on forever. It's because in her idea, the host will eventually go to live in the Sublime or her version of the Sublime that she's creating, since she can't actually access the actual Sublime. I
3: think that's right, and. I think the devices surrounding the tower in that little body of water remind me of the devices we saw inside the dam, and so uh sticking them out in the water like that, I think is a great way to probably keep them cool if they're insulated properly and yeah, i think I think they' are gigantic computer hard drives or something um, out there all lined up waiting to be filled up with host souls or sparks or <laughs> whatever they call them. Yeah.
1: Right. The cloud, the Holorus cloud, just drawing back to when Bernard was in the sublime with the Kishida and he goes through all of his visions. We talked about how there was a thatched roof and a lot of uh, scenes involving a thatched roof. And we also saw the red, uh uh, the red riot mechs Mm -hmm. we see both of them in this episode so they are at the base of the tower that's where bernard's vision is being pulled from that we see in those the thatched roof and the red mechs uh riot mechs they're both there at the base of the tower so i thought that was a fun little hey we saw that back in episode you know two uh and now now we're actually seeing where it comes from so just connecting some dots What do you think, Caroline? What do you think of this idea of transcending and and you have to and and maybe Ford's explanation on free will is why Holoris didn't force the change, but is instead wants hope and all the other hosts to come to it naturally, because they have to be able to question their fundamental drives in order to be uh, to actually change them that you can't change unless you're actually free to question yourself.
2: I think it's a really big question, you know, is spanning across all these seasons. Um, I don't know. I think there's a real push and pull. I mean, if you if you go to like the human religious kind of aspect of it all, of like you know, like sometimes when I just watch Steel Magnolias. Okay, and at Shelby's Are funeral. Are your colors now Blush, or blush bashful? and bashful, Absolutely. Um, so spoilers, you know, it's a super old movie, so if you haven't seen it. At, at Shelby's funeral, there's a portion when Nell's all like, we should rejoice because she's with her maker, which feels a lot like transcendence, right? We should mm-hmm. rejoice because she's free to run and play and do all these kinds of things, right? But there's like all this like mourning obviously that's going on that that's how a lot of this feels like you're supposed to be super excited to go just be like in heaven and go be off but like no human wants to do that (laughs) at the same time you know it's it's the whole thing it's like i just i understand that's supposed to be paradise and also i don't want to go (laughs) so
1: it's it's, like putting on your nikes and going to get in a comet tail like it's 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 the next plane. It's where we're supposed to go. No, thank you. There's a reason why Albert Brooks doesn't want to move on. He wants to just eat pasta in Defending Your Life and go back to Earth. You know, like he doesn't want to move on. Moving on is scary. If the listeners
3: haven't seen Steel Magnolias, there's no way they've seen Defending Your Life.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. I
2: love that. We're we're really challenging y'all. You have a whole watch list this week to go check out. But, you know, I mean. Crying shame. I think across the board though, I, you know, no one that I know is looking forward to leaving this plane. Okay. Moving to some other plane. Nobody I know wants to do that. So again, going back to the like, what is the base code? Like, You know, it was it was never going to happen where these ones want to leave their plane either. You know, maybe you have a couple here or there, just like we would if you took a poll of your neighborhood, might have some super religious people who are like, I cannot wait to, to hold Jesus's hand. And I, you know, would kill myself tomorrow to do that. Okay, but most of us would be like, nah, I just. Jesus can wait, you know, like I'm not doing it and I'm going to really hold out every day till I have to do that. So, you know, it's a, it's a weird question because why wouldn't you want to go to paradise is what I hear. Halor saying, why wouldn't you want to go be in this other place? Why would you want to stay in this ridiculous hell hole where people are like killing each other and acting like fools where I make you be chairs and make you play your fingers off. You'd literally rather be here than where I'm telling you, you could be like in this paradise situation
3: well the 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 chair people don't get to transcend those are just fly people
2: no I, no I understand i'm just saying but holoris's vision of the world is that this is a shitty place is what i'm trying to say
1: yeah aren't you bored with it yet right i yeah. mean they, they can't even make an ice sculpture that entertains me yeah. god damn it like that was but, so mean <laughs> not to state the obvious but holoris also hasn't yet moved on She hasn't transcended. She is also still in her human form. Now, I'm sure the answer is, well, she's got to make sure everyone else, all the little ducks get on the school bus before she goes. She has to be the one to turn off the lights. But okay, but leading is also by example, too. And if she's so bent on what comes next and it's so great, well, you ain't fucking transcended yet either, leader.
3: And <laughs> she could just like make a copy leave that person in charge and then and then head Send off
1: away. yeah just like mouth, like Mao mouth of tongue right they, they put them in like on state like she could just have a version of herself laying in a transcending chair and have everyone walk through and be like, look how happy she is she's <laughs> transcended she could put on like a, like a fake mustache and a trench coat and be like, oh, I think that holoris there it looks real <laughs> happy she's transcended y'all should try it
2: exactly I don't know.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about the host in black and his existential crisis. The episode starts with, there's a beauty to this world and order. We didn't build a better world, but a perfect one. And then you you're thinking he's buying it in the beginning of this episode, but then he repeats it or it gets repeated later on when he is now facing his human counterpart who he woken up. And man, he's looking like he has had the roughest day sitting there slumped on the floor. Can
2: I tell you that moment? And I know I interrupted you when you were talking about the Lindsay moment on the roof. When she puts her head on his shoulder, I was getting such hard Emily vibes. And I
1: feel like... She looked like her. She looked like Juliet, though, too. She looked like the wife. Yeah, but the the whole
2: thing across the board, which, of course, she did look like the wife, which, hello, isn't that the man in black story? Successful man, loses his shit, loses his family. I mean, isn't it the same loop that the accountant and, you know, everyone else is on? Peter, everyone else? So, but that moment when she puts her head on and he absorbs that for like a hot second and then is like recoil. I mean, I feel like his little emotional battery went to like zero. He's like, and I'm done. Like, I can't even handle today. I'm gonna go slump on the floor and go talk to my my head in a jar version of myself over here because I'm losing it
1: right well i I think that's i think you're exactly right though because we hear in the beginning episode and it's then right away we get him having the dinner with the companions and you know he's just being big dick energy william right that he that host in black that we think about and you're like yeah he's doing the dolores line that's fucking awesome right he's he's parroting his his mom's code you know the this this you know uh there's a beauty to this world in order i mean anyone who didn't get excited about that and the callback to season one with Dolores. I, I, why are you watching the show? <laughs> but then he repeats it. And it's, I think it's the exact same dialogue, but it's with it's with like depressed host in black slumped up with his human counterpart. And and then you realize, oh, you know, he doesn't actually believe this. He's beginning to question the nature of his reality. In fact, we know from this episode, he's just parroting what Holores has in his brain, the man in black says, you own this world. He's like, this is not my world. This is her world. That's a huge line. The The cracks are already there. Holoris doesn't even realize what her free will experiment, the, the damage it has wrought. Her lieutenant, her main man, is already starting to break with her.
2: <laughs> See, I think he totally came off as like a an exhausted disgruntled employee in this episode uh, i mean like when you said he had his big dick energy i was thinking man he just seemed like same shit different day with this situation like he's got to go clean up stuff then he's got to leave dinner to go deal with something come back to dinner and be like i
1: think he was like i'm gonna do some weird shit with these two i think he was super excited until clementine showed up
2: I, I see I think he was like mocking but like mocking like a like a like I said like some sort of disgruntled employee like I don't know like Disney or something would be like you think this shit's real really you, think shit's, you know like kind of like challenging you all of a sudden when you're supposed to be like playing along I don't know there was something about it that made me feel like oh this dude's cracking right now
1: in this one episode you see the arc of loyal lieutenant at the start, and the guy who's questioning, literally questioning the nature of his reality. Now, the man in black is definitely egging him on here. He says, sounds like you've reached the center of the maze, my dude! (laughs) You know, maybe maybe it's time for you to start questioning the nature of reality, which sounds a lot to me like fermenting revolution. It was that he is also
3: bored to me. And so he's sort of lording over his extensive knowledge of the world that this douchebag and his Mrs. Douchebag don't Really realizes is going on around them. It was a beautiful ceremony.
1: <laughs> I now pronounce you, Mister Mrs. Douchebag. Yeah,
2: the DBs.
1: Right. <laughs> they just they just do sell the little tablets at people instead of race.
2: Oh my god!
3: I think they're hosts, but but low down. Like if there's if there's rungs to the ladder, like he was pointing out, um, that guy wasn't even aware of where the top of the ladder was.
1: Let's, let's play this, this clip, this conversation between them, uh, just so people can hear it too and give a little context. I'm made in
0: your image. Am I you? You'll
1: never be me. Then what am I?
0: <laughs> Why do you want to know? I interacted with one, an outlier. Did it infect me? Infect you? With the virus. What virus? The one your kind has. It spreads to us, makes us kill ourselves. It's like you reached the center of the maze, my friend. Is that what you want? To kill yourself? I don't know. Is it? Perhaps you should ask yourself. You ask me. What do you think of your world? This isn't my world, it's hers. Maybe it's time you question the nature of your own reality.
1: Why Why does William go to do you want to kill yourself as a question in the context of this? You know, he, he's he, – yeah, he's definitely bored, but he's also, I think, having a little fun with it too because he's stuck in this fucking machine where he gets put to sleep constantly, you know, talking about the center of the maze. And maybe you need to start questioning the, the nature of reality. But why the kill himself? Is that because that was William's thought process when he lost Emily, when he lost Juliet? Is, is he reflecting – to his host counterpart, his own internal thought process. Because the idea of suicide in a host is a little jarring but we hear about it constantly this episode we hear that 38 hosts have killed themselves um after interacting with humans now the host in black has interacted with Lindsay, the outlier so now he thinks he's quote-unquote infected with this human virus and the man in black i feel like he's playing with his food a little bit but he also but he is him in a way so I'm curious when he says, do you want to kill yourself? Maybe you should. Like, maybe you should question the nature of reality. I'm curious, is he trying to just off a, an enemy or is he reacting to his own kind of internal process? Because I think he was very fucked up when he killed Emily.
2: Oh, I think he definitely was.
1: Yeah, I think he regrets his actions led to Juliet's suicide. But I think he re- he really got fucked up when he killed Emily and realized, in fact, that she was human.
3: Well, and I think his existence of—I think they said it was a dreamless sleep. So I don't know if he's aware of the passage of time, or if it's like uh, in in severance. You know, whenever he wakes up, and whenever he goes to sleep they're just all connected for him in terms of his own continuity of time, right? So every time he wakes up... He's
1: only got any. He's only got any <laughs> Exactly. Uh, man in black. It's any and sleepy. There's, there's no outie that man in black. So whenever
3: it's innie, he, there's someone there to taunt him, to fuck around with him, right? So, yeah, he's, he's gotten a little saucy. You want to kill yourself? <laughs> yeah, why don't you? Seems like the yeah, thing to do. He
2: always had that element to him, though. Don't you think he always had that, like... Why don't you just do it? Kind of element. I
3: kind of do well, but throwing the their own control words back at him, you know, the questioning your own reality and et cetera, et cetera. That I think is is a level of playfulness that that uh, came with this long period of of extended life and torture um, that we didn't really see with um, William in other stages. I mean, when he was king of the castle at westworld that was one thing but when he was kind of on the run and less sure about things then he took a different tact and now he's he's back to sassy nothing to lose mode
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about you guys i actually felt really bad for the host in black here and this when he's asking these questions these are some of his questions what part do i play in this world what am i am i you Because remember in the beginning of the episode when he's being salty, you know, in the HR meeting with Haloris, he says, I think what you think because I'm you. You made me like we all are made in your image. So we all think what you think. But here he's asking, William, am I you? I was made in your image. So there's two uses of made in your image in this episode. There's I made my brain is made in Haloris's image. But physically, I am made in William's image. That's enough to make anyone go fucking insane. Right? Isn't it? I mean, just the idea of what is my role in this world? I think everyone asks themselves that at some point. Maybe some people ask themselves that every single day that they go to their shitty job that they hate. And <laughs> they wish they would have an escape from. Do but, they? You know, Do they ask themselves that? You know, Who but, could we ask? <laughs> I, I I have yet to find the right person to answer the question, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, this is again, what's the difference between the host and the humans? He's asking questions that a lot of us ask all the time. What is my purpose here?
2: What is piquing my interest is well, maybe we've already answered this because we were coming, it's we're going full circle here. I asked the question a while back. Why does Haloris feel the need to justify what she's doing? why you know say hope is sitting here having this kind of learning moment what are we what are we doing with these hosts and i think we already answered it by saying well because they're having these human moments he's having this human moment of of trying to figure out what what is his purpose because it originated from a human place and so because that is a relatable experience as humans i think we can get it now you know why can't he figure this out but also if you, if he is, you know, full with the man in black's memories and, and all the things that happened with him, then, I mean, his life was really Garbage Pail Kids, right? I mean, he didn't ultimately do anything, you know? Like, he ran around. But, I mean, God, talk about, like, purposeless.
3: Well, he built I Delos mean, from kind of the directionless.
2: Yeah, and it all went awesome. Like, I mean. Well. I'm just saying like there's something about it. It's like of the kind of spinning wheels of like ultimately there wasn't the success of personal success. I'm not talking about whether mm. he earned money in his career. But like did he feel like I hit the pinnacle of what I was here for, you know, and I think we all agreed. No, he didn't ever feel like he never got to the center of the maze. Right. He never got there. He never figured it out. So. I don't know. I think it's fair to put a pin in this concept too and like let this season play out and see if they answer a little bit more of this, a little bit more of like, why are they having the hosts have these reflective kind of feelings when, you know, that's not what you would really expect of technology.
1: Let's shift to Christina and Teddy. In thinking about all of Holoris and her plan and free will and why is she running the world in the way in which she's running, one thing that came to my mind is, How is Teddy allowed in this world at all?
2: Uh, This has been nagging at me. And we talked about this last time a little bit about like, who is manipulating the Teddy situation? Who put him in here? Because Teddy himself is not a leading man. He is not the one who controls the situation. So who put him in here?
3: And why does he know so much?
2: Will it end up being some sort of weird slice of Christina's brain since she's the storyteller Like, is there going to end up being some sort of fracture where it's like, I don't know, almost split personality wise or something like that, where there's like. Something in there where she knows something and somehow summons him or whatever. She's some, summo- because remember, I mean, Teddy's always been this sort of like other aspect of her too. Oh,
3: so you're saying like she kind of manifested him. Maybe from- to be
2: like the guide because she was already having all these questions. Well,
1: she built, or the idea that she built him as a backdoor failsafe. Mm,
2: maybe so. Maybe that, so.
1: That he was to be activated when X, Y, or Z occurred.
2: When she starts questioning her, the nature of her reality, perhaps.
1: Right. Remember, think and think about in this episode, he calls her just as Emmett is starting to pressure her about the Dolores Abernathy timeline. He he keeps popping up at all of these crucial moments where she can really get herself into trouble. And she's acting as a guy as a guy who can't tell her, but can only kind of hold her hand and lead her.
2: I was thinking about even if you think about that aspect of um, that, the attack with Peter, and the fact that, you know, Christina doesn't fight him off, exactly. She kind of just kind of, you know, defends herself, but she doesn't, like, attack him. And it takes this perhaps alter ego version of herself, Teddy over here, who actually beats the shit out of Peter, which I was kind of saying to Paul, I was like, you know, this is kind of funny because they've really kind of shown Peter to be, as we've moved on, like really a sad situation that she like wrote this story and all this stuff. And it's like, it's kind of funny when you like go backwards and you're like, and then Teddy beat the shit out of him. Like, <laughs> You know, like, And Paul had to be like, well, he did cut her and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right.
1: Well, I mean, to be fair, he also then flung himself off of the building two, two days later. So Teddy's beating in the end actually wasn't the worst thing that happened to him.
2: Very true. So. Very true. But but what if that was like almost like her Sasha Fierce to her Beyonce, right? That like her alter ego version sort of did come and save her. Like you're saying, this backdoor failsafe. When she gets attacked, suddenly out of nowhere, this other entity comes and saves the day. I think we're on to something there.
1: I think that's a very good possibility. My other thought was... So the Teddy Pearl... It was one of the Pearls taken out of the park back in season two, at the end of season two, in The Passenger. So that Pearl is out there. Is he allowed in this world... Because Dolores allows all of the creations, all of the hosts to exist. It's the same idea about the free will conversation. Whether they make good choices or bad choices, she is allowing all of the hosts to make their free will choices as she sees it. And so these are the choices that Teddy is making. Teddy is making the choices of continuing to ride to Christina slash Dolores' rescue as much as he can. I actually like the idea of Dolores being this equal, this storyteller to Haloris, or slightly less, just below equal to Haloris, but with the power to have built in her own ba- her own back door. But in the sake of covering bases, I thought it was interesting just to bring up the idea that that Haloris allows Teddy to be in this world and and possibly bring down her whole plan because that's the bargain with free will.
3: Or somehow he's in there without her knowing
1: like a glitch in a code some kind of malware as far as she would see it or a, a backdoor a backdoor narrative like what we're saying with dolores like he's or the, if dolores didn't put him in there uh ford <coughs> ford <coughs> is uh uh still uh, you know the teddy is in here because there is a line in season one ford is telling teddy a little bit about the wyatt storyline and he says some enigmatic things about how Teddy would you like a part in my next storyline yeah. would you like to play a role in it <laughs> that perhaps perhaps the back door is not written by Dolores perhaps the back door is actually written by Ford and that Teddy is the very last code this is activating code from Ford left over Dormit See I
2: I ago. appreciate that line of thinking because you know I I really think this comes back to Ford at the end of the day, especially if we're going with this bookending feel, you got to get back to the originator. You got to get back to to who started this. And there's something about it that feels, oh my God, did anyone remember Ford? You know, if he actually has something to do with what's happening in season four, you know? It's more exciting.
1: Let's listen to this this clip about the walled garden. Do you know what would happen if she knew you'd breach the walled garden? She's already suspicious.
4: Who? Are you talking about Charlotte Hale?
0: If a Judas Steer runs the wrong way, then what happens to it? Retirement. And the bullet straight to the brain. Stop! <gasps>
3: Emmet backed away.
4: You said there's a walled garden. You mean a closed system, don't you? Where is it? Emmett told her the truth.
0: Everywhere.
1: Now Paul as a tech guy I don't know can you get into what walled gardens are and this is a this is a tech term I I, I read up about it but
3: I mean I can assume that they mean something like an air gapped system a closed system but I don't know
1: It so reading about it it's it's like that but it's actually more where a content provider provides a specific area in which you are allowed to play oh, uh the, the sure. example that i was given was apple itunes you can't go play any app on an iphone it has to be an an app that is only offered through the itunes store the itunes store is a walled garden it is a closed system
3: they, they prefer to call it an ecosystem
1: it is a specific area in which you were allowed to play in Rome that you are not allowed to go beyond the walls of, nor is anything allowed from outside allowed into those walls. It's a way of monitoring and, and specifically tailoring information to, from the provider to the user. Which is, okay, interesting. And and if you're going with this idea that Holoris has created a walled garden in Christina's mind, that she has these loops and the specific world that she's allowed to go to Jersey, but that's as far as she's maybe allowed to go. And she only has the narrative content in which she's allowed to play. That is Holoris being the content provider and Christina being the user, and she's only allowed so much. But... And maybe I'll put this audio clip in here. In episode five of season one, Ford says to Dolores, your mind is a walled garden. Even death cannot touch the flowers growing there.
3: Oh, that one just flew right over the under the radar.
1: I mean, again, Ford coming into this discussion for the second time in as many minutes can't be ignored. And again, knowing all the season one callbacks they're getting and season two callbacks to the time in the park, to the time when Ford was still alive. It seems really important that this idea of the walled garden, is it Holoris who put the walled garden into place, as Emmett makes it sound? Or is Holoris just continuing a system that ultimately was created by Ford so long ago?
2: I think B, Alex.
1: <laughs> I mean, even just the mention of the Judas Deer, I thought was interesting, too, this idea that... As soon as he
2: said it, I was like, Judas Deer! Because, Paul, you said it last week in the podcast.
1: I think I did. I edited it, did.
2: so you definitely did.
1: <laughs> so let's combine this with this clip from Teddy. I don't understand.
3: It's what I've been trying to show you. What Peter was trying to tell you. In this
1: world, you're a god. So this idea that Teddy can't tell her outright, outright, But she has to discover it on her own. She has to get to a part where she could see the tower herself. The tower, I'm assuming, instead of the Statue of Liberty, it feels like the Statue of Liberty has been replaced in reality by the tower, that those that aren't awake see the Statue of Liberty. Those that are aware of the tower see the tower. But I I don't know. That's neither here nor there. I don't know that we've had such a great shot of the entire New York Harbor to, to tell if the Statue of Liberty is also there. But anyway, what do you think of this idea of Teddy taking her hand but not being able to tell her outright? What do you think of the idea that Christina, once given this information and starts down this path, that she comes into her power so quickly? That the fact that she escalates from the two friends sitting on the on their chase lounges to being able to completely own Emmett in his office when he's about to get violent towards her in that short amount of time clock. Does that, does that work for you? Does it, does you stumble over that a bit?
3: Well, we keep going back to comparisons with the matrix and it's the exact same conversation Morpheus has with Neo to an extent, you know, you can't be told what the matrix is, right? This is the same sort of thing. I can't explain away what you need to see. You need to experience this in a way so that you understand it. Now he did give her the the example of making the ladies friends and then hate each
1: other on the uh, on the book reading chairs. He doesn't even tell her specifically how to change it. He lets that he lets that be to her.
2: Well, you guys, I think that it actually, if you look at it on some sort of like you know timeline evolution moment for her in terms of her thinking. Teddy comes about when she's in what we would consider a life and death situation. Now, what that actually means for Christina, given that she's not a human like us, we don't really know. But he comes about very unconsciously and saves the day. Right. She just it's just suddenly he appears. And then there's more conversation with like sort of this other side of her. I think Teddy is just this other part of her brain.
1: Bicameral
2: right uh-huh. and so he becomes more of a conversation it's like she's starting to 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 actually like examine that like and have the realization of like oh my god i like summoned this guy when i was in trouble and then she's owning it and and able to do it herself without summonsing him in Emmett's office that actually seems extremely natural and doesn't seem fast it seems like that's how it would happen you would be in that super fight or flight moment when all of a sudden your superpower came out you know and then you kind of harness it over the course of a conversation you know
1: Well, you're also I think you're 100 percent right, but also there's also an intervening event there, too, where she has lunch with her, quote unquote, old college roommate, who is Charlotte Hale. I'm positive it's her that creates that distraction at the end where the guy oh, runs into yes. the
2: food 100% attra- right. yes.
1: But that's a fight or flight moment though. Charlotte's like, I have ways of making you talk and it becomes extremely tense and so she is in this panic mode because Teddy has just told her, don't trust anyone. Anyone that you know you can't trust them because they may be one of us. How funny. It's always they may be one of them, but Teddy says they may be one of us.
2: Uh, Loris is like, okay, I'll talk to you next week and I was laughing to Paul. I was like, I was like, if this is a person you talk to weekly, you actually don't call them your college roommate. (laughs) You call them your current friend. (laughs) You know, like it's funny to look at it like that. But again, it just exposes that programming of like, well, she's labeled as college roommate, even though silly enough, you talk to her weekly, (laughs) you
1: know right oh that whole thing the scene was was fascinating too This the idea that camera of
2: camera work uh, was awesome
1: well the the explanation that charlotte gives of you know oh i've been busy with work you know oh work oh, you've been you've been trying to land that big client you're trying to get that fat bonus is that transcending <laughs>
2: That fat bonus
1: you know but but you're right <laughs> living though, that a
2: god fu- life <laughs> yeah
1: you're 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 real do you, you have a human chair
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> are you into human furniture yet old college roommate <laughs> old
4: um but, but it's a
1: it's a fight it's a fight or flight moment though where she she in a panic moment causes that distraction to get then to break the tension so then she can just say oh i gotta go back to work you know like i, I can't answer your question about teddy now because there's been this distraction at the back of the Someone restaurant broke so
2: glass. <laughs> uh, yes
1: being reminded of food on this guy's stomach now is reminding me i have to go back to work but then in the same thing it's it's emmett it's a fight Flight moment, though, but she settles into it, though nicely, though, and I like how she says it. Like she uses the third person. She says, "You know, like Emmett. Emmett backs away. Emmett, you know, comes the fuck down. You know, Emmett tells me the truth."
2: It's a storyteller, right? <laughs> it's She's Voldemort.
1: It's, it's Voldemort when he's doing his. I don't think he's allowed
2: uh, to keep saying his name like that. It's, uh, it's very uncomfortable.
1: When he is a kid and he meets Dumbledore for the first time, uh, Dumbled- he asks Dumbledore a question because Dumbledore is kind of explaining gently that they're wizards. And he's like, don't lie to me. I know if you lie to me. It was very kind of like that. It was kind of like, tell me the truth. But like in a way that like her eyeballs will like wiggle funny. So like, obviously, have to I was thinking
3: Kilgrave myself.
1: Ah, very good. Sorry for keeping it in that Marvel sphere. I love it. I yes, love it. Yes. Ah, Jessica Jones. You, I think you actually are a secret huge fan of David Tennant. Paul he actually comes <laughs> up for you a lot I'm a Matt Smith guy so I'm a little salty about it so I mean I like David Tennant but I'm a Matt Smith Doctor Who fan so well fezzes are cool it's another right? show you guys got
3: yeah bow ties, are cool. bow ties are cool
1: yeah I like this idea I also it feels it feels like a philosophical debate like parents it's also with parents and children like you can teach your kids to do stuff but ultimately they have to do it themselves and,
2: and ultimately they end up doing exactly what they've seen you do Right. So you can tell them all you want. But I learned it from watching you, Dad. Go watch that commercial, y'all. That's a drug commercial from way back when.
3: Anti-drug.
2: <laughs> Anti-drug, right. It was a drug commercial,
1: though. It's a pro-drug commercial.
2: <laughs> it was really about being making breakfast.
1: Sponsored by the Egg Board. <laughs> But the bicameral mind, though, is interesting coming up in that discussion. I mean, I said it as a joke, but if you remember what the bicameral mind discussion was, was the earliest humans thought that the voices they hear in their head were the gods talking to them. We learned that, in fact, it was just our own thoughts. It was what thoughts are. Teddy is that bicameral mind right now for her, perhaps. Perhaps Teddy doesn't actually exist. We don't know. No one else interacted with Teddy. Perhaps Teddy is just a manifestation that she is literally he is representing the voices in her head that she sees as what our primitive humans would have thought was a god. But it's really just her own thoughts in her brain talking to her.
2: It's her, it, like doubts and like you know your your inner voice kind of feel of like are you doing the right thing or what is going on like that that,
1: and maybe that explains how he's allowed in the system. He's not really because he's there. not
2: there, which actually makes so much sense. But someone
1: had to beat up Peter.
2: But I think that honestly. Well, maybe
1: she
3: beat
2: a Peter. That, yes. It's a guy in a shadow. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I think that there's something. She could have actually in her mind. He's a fucking story host. Story told. Yeah. Well, she doesn't actually have to physically go beat him up. She showed how it was like Emmett backs away. In her own mind, subconsciously, she could have been like, Peter falls down on the ground. Peter, you know, ends up getting his ass kicked. She doesn't have to physically ass kick anybody. She didn't physically move Emmett away. She just thought it. You know, she All said right. it out loud for All us right. cuz you know, we're the audience, but you know, she's the storyteller. So we'll, we'll she put determines a pin in
3: uh, Teddy Durden. <laughs>
2: Teddy Durden. Oh my god, I just saw a picture recently of Brad Pitt talking with Ed Norton and it was like he's still having to do the Teddy Durden. I was laughing.
1: Uh, I, I think this episode and learning about what her powers are and how she's responsible for all the... I was getting anxiety when she was at the red table and all of the narratives kept popping up. I was like, oh my God, stop it with all the white... Body. like It was giving me anxiety as they were... Kid- and, and her too, because she's like, enough, stop it, with all of the, like, the different narratives popping up on the table. But remember we had a long discussion when she goes to the jersey psych ward where peter myers donated the money remember she mutters to herself when she sees like the construction guy walk through with the people she says leave just leave and they do and we talked about did she make them leave or was it just a coincidence well i think she made them leave i think we confirmed that in this episode
3: yeah i recall that discussion yeah
1: So a nice little callback to something that was just kind of hinted at. But in fact, she did make them leave. Um, Let's just play these last two clips, the storyteller and the Awakening audio clip.
4: This world is just a story. I'm the storyteller. They have the whole world in there. A perfect reflection of all of after the tightest detail. That's what I'm writing, isn't it?
1: about you guys but imagine realizing that the world is completely made up and in fact you are aesop telling the story but that on top of it you also made this hell yourself that's what teddy says to her at the end she's like who did this who's doing this to me who made this world and he's like you did girl
3: <laughs> <laughs> about that is you
1: <laughs> is that real though did because
2: i mean now, is that real
1: Teddy Teddy has been a reliable narrator, we think, about at least explain to her what her powers are or uh, some version of this. But we've been going on this theory that Holoris had trapped Christina in this world as some kind of form of eternal torture. Now, Teddy's saying at the end of the episode, you made this system. You've put yourself well, in here. You it's put true yourself from into
3: a certain point of view, right? Well, isn't
2: Einhorn Finkel? Come on. Holoris is... Right. Dolores. Exactly. <laughs> so she Dolores did is do Dolores. It. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. So she, I mean, I said the line before he said it. When she's like, who did this? I was like, you did. And then he's all, like, you did. And I'm like, uh huh. Because she's always been her own saboteur, you know, in the same way, like, we want it to be different, we want there to be another villain. I want Teddy to be the leading man. Teddy's always going to be just this helper dude. Like he's never going to step in and be the leading man. She's never going to stop having that Wyatt bullshit side of her, you know, that sabotages everything and screws everything up. Like it, you know, it's just part of who she is
1: as we're racing to a finish here, I want to jump back to the beginning of the episode where Christina wakes up and she is happy, which is clearly an indicator that she is off her loops because we have seen her wake up a bunch in this world and she is never big and smiley and like, you know, like uh, the birds tripping outside her windows. But Maya is the opposite of that. Maya says something like along the lines of, I am terrified to sleep at this point. I am just happy to be awake because of the nightmares. It made me think after watching the episode and watching... The whole outlier story and learning about that is Maya about to become a breach? Is she about to breach? Is she an outlier? Is that what we're seeing with these nightmares seeping into her uh, into her life increasingly? Is she at the end of her rope with the system?
3: Maybe she's not here specifically to be the object of of Helloris's hell fantasy, but maybe she's here to be. As an experiment to be pushed and prodded into doing something, creating something, becoming something. I'm not sure what. And with these different catalysts and stimuli, maybe this thing that Haloris needs to keep a close eye on as the college roommate Mm -hmm. wink, maybe that... Whatever it is, will help guide her people to the transcendent, um, you know, pearly gates that she wants them all to to go toward. I don't know exactly, but that's a long way of saying that fits in with that theory. We're catching the the, the awakening and the uh, moving, the beginning of the end, I guess, for that character. So yes, I'm since I'm gonna stick. With my running theory, I've got to say that, yeah, she's got to be reaching the end of whatever this awakening period is.
2: I think so. I absolutely think so. I mean, the things that she was just a little bit, like, kind of, it was just kind of scratching her brain a little, like, huh, what is going on here, is now fully formed into, like, she knows she's a storyteller. She knows, I mean, this is 100% like... This shit is over. <laughs> well,
1: I, I think I think if you look at Maya and the way she's talking about her nightmares and thinking about like her remembering or experiencing that picnic dream with the flies, it it seems like a kissing cousin to the man on the street, Arthur, the homeless man, with his his drawings of the tower and his increasing agitation and the birds and no one can hear but us and the song without sound. These are kissing cousins, What she's going through versus what Arthur seemed to be going through at the end. So I think breach and outlier is imminent for her. And narratively it's fun. If the person closest to Christina becomes a breach.
2: I feel like the, the scene that you were talking about before with the, with having all those stories pop up and having it become like overwhelming with her, like looking at the city. I also kind of think that as Christina's grip is is becoming less and less she has less um like organized thinking in terms of even being the storyteller, so the fact that her characters could start being in turmoil could start having these chaotic dreams and and having these terrible memories or and some of them are kind of getting lost in the shuffle and and you know suddenly can't hear the sound and blah blah, blah. like it's possible in my own you know narrative here that it feels like. She just doesn't have the control anymore because she's got all these other things going on now where she's wondering what's going on. And she's, you know, busting in and realizing she's the storyteller and and all this kind of stuff. Like she can no longer control what everyone else is thinking and doing as the storyteller.
1: Right. Well, and, and apply to a person that is presumably the closest person to her, Maya. Uh, given given the christina we see in this world who doesn't seem to have a lot of attachments to people maya being her closest friend and 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 person literally to her in the world lives you know they don't live together i don't what do they i guess they live together yeah this idea that maya's starting to have these nightmares and her her quality of life is becoming increasingly shitty it's it's either it's either christina is making her have those bad dreams as the storyteller um and there's also if you think about it the one who made her put lipstick on her beard and made her continue to chaperone her on dates that was all christina's doing if she's the narr- narrator and storyteller but the increasing of the dreams caroline i think you're right is an exhibition of her losing control over the storytelling
2: just not keeping not keeping the story straight kind of you know
1: or this is what happens to humans if they're not being kept on their loops. Remember, Jay says humans have to be kept on their loops so they don't start questioning the nature of their reality, so they don't start going insane. Halora says the music has to resonate at this frequency or else their bodies fall into chaos and they shut down. All of that it taken together and Maya's dreams, seem, what Maya seems to be going through seems to be either the stages to breach or what happens to a human when the system and the loops start to fall apart. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, this was a detail-heavy episode. I'm sure there are going to be things that we're going to think about and talk about in Episode 6 from this episode as they come to us. But for right now, I just want to say... Thank you for listening to the Valley Beyond, the Westworld podcast. If you wouldn't mind going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review and subscribe, that would be fantastic. If you could leave a five star rating for us, that would be most appreciated. So we don't have to take you off your loops, motherfucker. Don't make us do it. We will.
2: This is Caroline.
1: This is Paul. And this is Mike. Thanks, Thanks for listening.
2: For listening. Ah, you say ah, my ah, line.
1: I'm the storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening.